Hello, and welcome to A Health Podacy. I'm your host, Alan Weil. As we record this episode, Gallup just reported that almost one quarter of Americans say they visited a mental health professional in 2022, up from 13% in 2004. They also reported that one quarter of Americans describe their mental health as only fair or poor, the highest level they've ever seen. Meanwhile, the American Association of Medical Colleges has a report that says, quote, a lack of available providers, inadequate insurance coverage, high out-of-pocket costs, and fragmented care, unquote, make access to mental health care difficult even for those with health insurance. So what do we know about access to psychiatric care for people with health insurance? That's the topic of today's episode of A Health Policy. I'm here with Jane Zhu, Associate Professor of Medicine in the Division of General Medicine at Oregon Health and Science University. Dr. Zhu and co-authors published a paper in the July 2023 issue of Health Affairs, Assessing Psychiatrist Network Breadth Across Medicare Advantage, Medicaid Managed Care Plans, and Affordable Care Act Plans in 2019. They found network breadth for psychiatrists was notably narrower in Medicare Advantage markets than in those other markets. We'll discuss these findings in today's episode. Dr. Zhu, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Alan. This is really important work. We uh, know that we have large amount of unmet uh, mental health needs in the country. Uh, When you focus on Medicare Advantage, I'm thinking seniors, people over 65. So let's start with just a little bit of a context setting question. What do we know about the mental health needs of seniors? And in particular, the degree to which those needs are or are not being met? Yeah, well, I mean, I think if you take a step back, the uh, situation for seniors or older adults looks a lot like uh, for other populations in the U.S. So we know that one in five Medicare beneficiaries um, has a mental health diagnosis. Many more have symptoms of anxiety and depression that go under or undiagnosed. Um, And in particular, older men, um, especially in rural areas, have high risk of suicidal ideation that is often underrecognized. As of 2021, uh, there's estimates that fewer than half of all older adults with mental health conditions receive treatment. And, you know, for a lot of the reasons that you've already mentioned at the top, uh, these access gaps have probably climbed as a result of the COVID pandemic. There were lots uh, more people reporting symptoms of mental health conditions like anxiety and depression, a lot more treatment gaps. Uh, So it is a, a problem. Um, And I think as the U.S. population ages, there's an increasingly larger need to address this issue amongst older adults. So most of our listeners are probably at least generally familiar with concepts like mental health parity. We think, oh, we have an insurance card. It helps us get to the doctor. If we have mental health needs, it should help us there, too. Um, your paper focuses on sort of the narrowness or breadth of networks, and that's a fairly technical measure as you define it. But maybe in a in a less technical way, you can explain to us what is the concept of network breadth, and what do you mean when you say someone is facing a narrow network? Sure. Yeah. So. Um you know, provider networks are really the sets of clinicians and facilities that are contracting with a health plan to deliver 
care to the plan's enrollees. And so in that way, I like to think of provider networks as a key link between coverage and access to care. It's really only relevant to managed care plans like those in Medicare Advantage, um, obviously the, the private plans that work with Medicare. And um, under um, a capitated model, managed care plans often have you know, a constant trade-off between access and cost of care. And in one way in which managed care plans can exert influence over the cost of care, obviously at the potential risk of reducing access, is to design what we call narrower or simply more restrictive networks. Um, and I'll say there's there's probably, you know, we, we really want to think about it from both the insurer's perspective and from the provider's perspective. So from the insurer's perspective, um, you can really imagine that by designing a narrower network, you might be able to direct patients to a specific set of providers who you know are going to be lower cost, higher quality. And studies suggest that patients are often willing to um, tolerate a narrower network in exchange for lower premiums. Uh, so the, the, the consumers uh, are not, don't find this necessarily problematic on, you know, when they sign up for plans. Um, but then there are also provider side reasons for narrower mental health networks. And I think we'd be remiss not to talk about those. You know, we know, for example, that there is a mental health provider uh, crisis in terms of, you know, shortages, especially in rural areas. Um, the, we know that there is very historically very low psychiatrist acceptance of insurance, um, and that is seen across markets. So psychiatrists are more likely to uh, take cash pay uh, and to provide care out of network than to to participate in a plan. Um, and so these for these multiple reasons, you know, when we think about narrow networks, we're really thinking about the concept of. Uh, restriction in terms of who uh, patients are able to see. So I, you made a really important point here is that it's easy to think of a narrow network as a bad thing. I don't have as many choices, but if it leads to uh, directing people to higher quality providers, that could be a good thing. And if you're w saving some money in your premium, it might be something you're willing to accept. You might not prefer it, but you'd prefer to have the money in your pocket. Exactly. Everything in the health policy world is a matter of trade-offs, as we know. Um, but the problem is, you know, when a network is too narrow as to be inadequate, then that becomes a, a big pit problem. And, um, you know, enrollees just would not receive the, the coverage or the services they're promised when they sign up for a plan. Um, and research actually suggests that narrower networks are associated with lower access to specialists, especially in behavioral health care and oncology care. Um, studies show that narrower networks uh, create these what we call hassle costs um, for healthcare. They lead to increased out-of-network care, increased out-of-pocket spending, treatment delays, or foregone care, and and that's particularly prevalent in mental health care um, specifically. So you can sort of think of this as a gradient where maybe full open access is very expensive, and certain amount of narrowing is something you'd be willing to tolerate. But when you get to a certain point it actually is a, a true barrier to access. And uh, you, you're not getting what you thought you were, and you're not getting what you paid for just because of the narrowness. You studied uh, psychiatrists' participation in networks in a number of different markets. Uh, tell us what you found about those uh, network designs in Medicare Advantage and how that compared to the other markets you looked at. Sure. So um, this was a Herculean effort by my co-authors, um, but we linked more than 
10 data sources to create a, a really comprehensive novel data set that join sort of plans across markets and then their networks and the providers uh, for the year 2019. So I'd like to highlight probably three main findings. The first is that we found psychiatrist networks to be uh, narrower, much narrower than those for primary care and for other specialists across all markets. So Medicare Advantage, Medicaid Managed Care, and the ACA marketplace plans. Um, the second finding is that um, psychiatrist networks in MA, in Medicare Advantage specifically, were far narrower than those in other markets. Uh, about two-thirds uh, of me Medicare Advantage networks were narrow, which we defined in our study as um, including less than 25% of available psychiatrists in a given network service area. And that was compared to about 40%, give or take, in um, uh, Medicaid managed care and the ACA uh, marketplaces. Um, and then finally, uh, when we looked at the 2,000-plus counties for which we had available data, we found that in over half of those counties, there wasn't a single Medicare Advantage participating psychiatrist, not a single one. So, so very, very surprising in, in, in different dimensions. Yeah, so you're describing already in a context of limited access Within these markets, you have even greater limitations, uh, Medicare Advantage relative to the others. And um, just help me understand, you find counties where there's just literally no one, and yet the plan exists and the plan covers mental health benefits, but there's no one to go to. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I think there, there, yes, uh, in, in so many words, um, there's no psychiatrist. So, I mean, I think one of the limitations, obviously, that we need to acknowledge here is that our study was not able to look at, for example, um, uh, uh, mental health nurse practitioners who are increasingly delivering mental health services. Um, there are studies that show that, you know, as Medicare participation among psychiatrists continually falls uh, over time, that you know, acceptance amongst uh, NPs, um, psychiatric mental health nurse practitioners, has actually remained fairly stable and that they're delivering an, an, an increasing um, uh, proportion of those services. So that is one potential aspect of care delivery that we're not able to see using our data. The other uh, that I think is worth mentioning is that um, there are other studies that suggest that Medicare Advantage networks for primary care physicians tend to be quite broad. And so that is another group of providers that are, um, you know, increasingly delivering mental health services. So it, it is possible that um, Medicare Advantage is essentially uh, skipping over the psychiatrist population uh, in favor of these other providers, but we're not really gaining any visibility into that question using our data alone. That being said, psychiatrists serve a very important purpose. They are the mental health specialists that sort of deliver uh, services for uh, advanced uh, cases of mental health conditions. They help to m manage uh, medication treatment. Um, and yet, if access to the, that group is completely limited, that also presents a, a problem. Um, and as a primary care physician, I know uh, this, you know, very well personally. I refer people out who I cannot personally manage as a primary care physician, and um, they cannot, you know, I, I've personally experienced that they cannot get to those uh, psychiatrists in a timely manner. 
Well, I want to talk to you about what we do about all of this and what the implications of these findings are. We'll cover those topics after we take a short break. And we're back. I'm speaking with Dr. Jane Zhu about uh, the narrowness of psychiatrist networks in Medicare Advantage plans relative to the other markets studied. Uh, before the break, we got a sense of, of some real limitations in these markets. Now, uh, as you might imagine, uh, not everyone was happy seeing the results of your paper. And I saw a comment from uh, an organization working with the health plan saying that it's not really fair to compare access in uh, Medicare Advantage to these other programs. You should compare it to traditional Medicare. Um, how do you how do you respond to that criticism or comment? I, I sort of um, you know I appreciate the comment. I think that. Um, you know, the key issue here that makes the comparison between Medicare Advantage and traditional Medicare not exactly apples to apples is the fact that MA plans are managed care plans that use provider networks, um, whether intentionally or unintentionally, to direct access. In Medicare, in traditional Medicare, anybody uh, can go to a provider who accepts Medicare. So there's not the same sort of uh, structure of of these provider networks. So it's not exactly uh, a comparison that we can use uh, well. That being said, even if you were to sort of take a step back and look at the situation for mental health service delivery in Medicare, in traditional Medicare, we have reasons to be concerned. Um, and that includes, for you know reasons I already discussed, really low rates of Medicare acceptance among psychiatrists, um, known treatment gaps and service delays uh, in the Medicare population, self-reported, you know, um, you know, uh, challenges in access to care. Um, in fact, the Commonwealth Foundation in 2021, I believe, um, put out a survey where they compared uh, or they, they surveyed Medicare enrollees in the U.S. Uh, around their um, mental health service concerns, and they compared that to another 10 high-income countries. And they found that in the U.S. in particular, Medicare enrollees were more likely uh, to report uh, delays in treatment, cost barriers, and the like um, uh, for mental health services in particular. So I don't think that necessarily uh, comparing to traditional Medicare paints a rosier picture. It just paints the picture that this is a problem across the board. Right. It seems like sort of both of these could be true. It could be true that everyone has difficulty obtaining access to mental health services. It could also be true that MA plans compared to other managed care plans have narrow networks, and that's something we ought to wonder about uh, in a world where there's supposed to be parity. Exactly. And that's, uh, th I think that's the biggest concern for me is that um, this has been yet, uh, not yet reported that MA networks are that much narrower than in Medicaid managed care and in the ACA plans that also use provider networks. So there's something else going on, uh, you know, our, our, our findings suggest in Medicare Advantage in particular. And what exactly that is, whether it's 
purposeful design by insurers or uh, you know provider acceptance of of insurance or a combination of those factors is yet unclear. But we've definitely uh, carved out that this is a a, a big and uh, uh, previously un unrecognized issue. Well, I love that that's how you pivoted the conversation because I feel like that's one of the roles we often play at Health Affairs is you find something that you don't know the first time you find it. Why? But you know that it's important. And so this is important. And what I'm struck by is we have network adequacy standards in all of these programs. You can't have a managed care plan out there that's regulated by the federal government or the states that doesn't meet certain kinds of network adequacy standards. So how do we think about the legal and regulatory framework that's applied to these programs relative to the findings that you report? You know, just take a step back, you know, we really talk about network adequacy standards, um, uh, a lot, but they're really underdeveloped. So the, uh, you know, as, as we talked about network adequacy, adequate provider networks is something that's very easy to conceptualize, but uh, it's very, very challenging to implement and operationalize. And we've seen that in, in policy. Um, and it's, it's underdeveloped, but it is one way in which regulators can curb the most undesirable consequences and really safeguard access to care when narrow networks are too narrow. So um, there's a, a few different reasons, I think, that their efficacy has been really limited. Um, there's imprecise definitions, and they've been inconsistently operationalized. Um, traditionally, they've been sort of defined very broadly. But interestingly enough, in Medicare Advantage, network adequacy standards actually have have historically been amongst the most robust. There's actually 26 different categories of provider types, including mental health practitioners. Um, and there's, there's, you know, minimum travel and distance standards that are set, for example. And yet our findings show that clearly um, these, these network adequacy standards have not really uh, done very much to um, uh, in, in improve uh, uh, the, the size of these networks. Um, and so, you know, uh, uh, I think for these reasons, um, there needs to be just a lot more attention paid to what is a meaningful standard for network adequacy. Um, I think that there is more attention now being paid to, rather than time and distance standards, um, thinking about what the patient is actually facing in the end. So having more patient-facing measures, how much time are patients waiting? Um, what are their reported barriers to care? Uh, is there, you know, provider churn that's causing uh, them to lose access? Those are measures that um, uh, CMS is start, you know, starting to look at. And so, um, you know, there's there's um, a number of policy directions that we're we're moving towards, um, and I think redefining what network adequacy means in the context of knowing that current regulations are not having any correlation with pay actual patient access is one of the, the motivations for doing so. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to you digging deeper into this. You know, when I think of Medicaid, the, the common complaint is that uh, you have a card, but you can't find a provider. And yet your uh, findings suggest that the networks are uh, much less narrow in Medicaid managed care than in Medicare. And in Medicare Advantage, there's often a sense that you know, the plans are making a lot of money on this product. And so if they needed to increase access, there's the money to do so. So the, the, the difference between those two markets seems 
particularly striking to me. Did that come out to you as well? Yes. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, um, in Medicaid managed care, um, you know, Medicaid is one of the single largest payers for mental health services uh, uh, in the country. And so for that reason alone, it's received a lot of policy and academic research attention. On the policy standpoint, um, uh, there's new managed care proposed rules that CMS has has uh, uh, um, uh, proposed that actually improves um, the concept and operationalization of network adequacy standards. So, um, you know, uh, uh, cleaning up provider directories um, and implementing uh, timely access standards, having secret shopper audits, for example. So there's been a lot of attention uh, directed to networks in med- Medicaid managed care uh, uh, across the board. Definitely was surprised, um, you know, about our findings comparing these markets because less attention has been paid to mental health services in in Medicare Advantage, um, uh, despite you know obviously these these differences in in network um, size. And you know, I can't help but wonder if there's a a role that stigma plays here when you think about how MA plans and Part D plans are marketed. We we talk a lot about the prescription drugs people take. We we ask people to think about what specialists they see and what care they need, but there really isn't a lot of attention paid to the mental health needs of elders as we ask people to evaluate what plan is the best choice for them. And so the the notion that we've sort of segregated out in the decision-making process how to pick a plan, uh, mental health needs, might mean that that plans just don't feel like they have to pay as much attention to this because they're not getting as much questioning or, or uh, probing from their potential enrollees. Yeah, I think that's, that's right. I mean, I think, you know, what we, at least this is not my focus of study, um, but, you know, what we don't fully understand is the degree to which stigma um, uh, and underreporting of mental health systems affects their the the care seeking behaviors of older adults. So it may be that you know um, when you look at population health management from the plan perspective, you're not seeing that um, you know mental health services is what's driving the enrollment or what's driving the um, decision making, the healthcare decision making for older adults, and so less attention is paid to designing these networks. That being said, it is totally possible, you know, that health plans are seeing that older adults are really favoring their primary care physicians for all of these uh, needs. And therefore, there's not as much um, uh, interest in going to a psychiatrist or a mental health specialist uh, on the part of this population. Whether or not that's true, it's not clear, Um, but there's certainly need for study. Uh, The other thing uh, that I would say is, you know, when we think about provider networks and where we're going with mental health delivery, it's also important to think about these new modalities of care, which we haven't yet discussed. Telehealth, for example, has been, you know, in in other studies uh, that we, our team has produced as well, telehealth has been uh, basically very prevalent uh, for the delivery of mental health services. And yet we don't know, for example, whether seniors uh, and older adults are uh, as accepting of um, telehealth as a modality, whether it's supplementary or complementary to the types of services they're already uh, receiving, um, and whether this is necessarily a uh, a lever that can be used to increase the size of these mental health networks. 
for example, in Medicare Advantage, um, given that there are other you know, issues like provider shortages going on. Well, Dr. Zhu, thank you so much for uh, sharing this work with us, for setting the stage for future analysis, and for being my guest today on A Health Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you'll tell a friend about A Health Podcast.